Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan, and today you're going to get a bonus episode and a solo episode. And a few people on Patreon are wondering why there was no raw. It's because I'm incredibly easy to edit and don't tend to screw the shows up the way the other hosts do. That's my little jab since they're not here. Right now, obviously, we are having to go through a bit of a transition or a period of adapting, kind of like everybody else is, because of, you know, the quarantine and isolation and all of that. And in nearly 14 years of doing this show, obviously, this is not something we have ever had to deal with before. So we didn't really have a script for that. Now, the good news is we do have some multi-host episodes that were recorded before this went down because I kind of had a sense back in, I guess, a couple of months back, really where this was headed. And so we did jam out a few back-to-back shows. And then once those are all spent, we'll find something else to do. I don't know if we're going to do remote shows. I don't know if we're going to do solo shows, but rotate who the solo host is. But we're going to find something to keep this thing going. And you may be wondering why, if I have these multi-host shows, are you hearing just me right now? And the answer is because there are some topics that I want to cover that are a little bit timely in nature. One of them relates to the playtest for Skies of Glass, and one of them ties back to the episode we just released on Westmarch's games. And so I want to get these slipped in here before the next show. So I'm going to go ahead and start with the Westmarch's thing. Back when I was reviewing the show prior to release, because to give you guys a sense of how the process works, we sit down and cut the show and it gets released to Patreon as a raw. That same raw is then sent to Aisha, who does the edits. And then when Aisha sends it back to me, I do a pre-release review of the show, basically just to make sure, you know, one last check. There's nothing in there we need to remove because it's, I don't know, inflammatory or just didn't come across right or, or whatever, because I realized at the end of the day that, you know, the buck stops here. I'm responsible for what goes out on the feed. So I want to, you know, have the highest confidence I can that everything is 100% tweaked. And in the process of listening to that show, I think there's kind of a disservice we did to you guys in that I stand by the advice we gave and the conversation that we had on the subject. But I don't think we did a good job of really explaining where any of this was coming from or contexting how this fits into the actual original West March's campaign. In fact, when we got to the part where we were talking about the history of West March's as a game thing, all we did was make jokes about random things like a guy named Bob Westmarches and such. And we never even actually told you guys the history of it. Now, we did link it in the show notes. But I still think the advice that we gave required a little bit of historical context because Westmarches is a concept that is evolving within the psyche and within the gestalt of role-playing. So let me explain where we were coming from with that. So for anyone who wants the actual history, the original Westmarches game occurred between 2001 and 2003, and it was done in Dungeons & Dragons version 3.0. As I stated on the show during one of our facetious histories of it, one of them actually was real, which was the game was named after an area called the West Marches, which sat to the west of civilization. And there was a jumping off town from which his players were exploring into the Western Marches. And in case you're curious, the GM was, or DM, I guess, if you prefer, was Ben Robbins. And if that name sounds a little bit familiar 
or even if you're not big into the name, something else he's done that you might be familiar with is Ben Robbins is also the author of something called Microscope. And Microscope is a world-building game that's meant for use alongside role-playing games, though obviously it can be used for novels or anything else. And Ben actually, in his own writing, alludes to the fact that Microscope was somewhat inspired by his process of world-building for the West Marches game. That what he was trying to do was, even though the world itself really did not have much of a plot, he wanted an intricate history to the setting. And so as he wrote that, he created these layers of history of, you know, super ancient history and then less ancient history and then recentish history and then what happened yesterday and then sort of tie stories between all of those that would give flavor to his world. And if you've ever played the game Microscope, you've seen this concept at work. But after Ben Robbins ran this, he wrote a series of blog posts, which, like I said, I linked in the previous episode, and I'll link it in this one, too, where he talked about and gave some advice on what he thought was necessary to run the game in the same style that he did. Okay, so why did we not just stop there? Well, I think there were some particular choices he made for his game that are not necessary to running a West Marches game, meaning that he chose to run the game a particular way. And it made sense. You know, it made sense for what he was trying to do with the people he had at hand, the technologies he had available, the game he was trying to create. But there's a lot of broader concepts in there, and they don't have to be run the exact way that he has run them. But I've talked to quite a few people who are expanding upon and evolving the concept of West Marches, just as I myself am contemplating doing so. And so it's not really stayed where it began, just as role-playing games are not all D&D. You know, the things kind of grow beyond that and new issues come up. So let me point out a few of those. And these are not critiques of him. These are just things that were particular to his game, but don't have to be true in yours. The first and probably biggest one is in the original West Marches game. There was only one GM, which was Ben ran the game and that was it. He did not have other people game mastering alongside him. And so the issues that we talked about with how do you collaborate and coordinate with other GMs and do you have a GM in chief or are you a council of equals and and so forth? These were issues that he did not have to tackle And at least in the blog posts that I've seen of his, he never discusses having to resolve because they weren't part of his game. It was also obviously idiosyncratic to his game that he chose to use Dungeons & Dragons. Perfectly fine choice. But that also avoids certain issues that you might have to deal with and gives you certain tools that would not be available in other game systems. Okay, For example, he used things like random encounter tables. He used things like encounter levels of the difficulty of areas. Well, this makes sense in D&D or any encounter-based game. But what if you're playing something like Star Trek or something like Battletech or something like Dresden Files or whatever you want to do? Well, these things don't really apply anymore. You know, you don't have those tools handy. You know, it's not like you beam down to a world in Star Trek and use your phasers to kill level one Tribbles, and then you go to the next planet and use your phasers to kill level two Klingons and, and so on. He also had the ability to lock the rules pretty firmly to the player's handbook. And that's how he describes having done it, was he basically said, if it's in the player's handbook, this is how it works. And he made the rules rather immutable. He said, you know, if the rules say it's this, that is what we're doing. All rules are above table. There's no fudging. 
this is all going to be very, very lockstep to the exact letter of the law. Well, not all games provide that. Some games are very rules light, or they maybe have rules that have a lot more holes in them or questions or have things that are far more open to interpretation than the D&D 3.0 player's handbook does. So once again, not an issue he had to deal with. Another thing that was kind of neat about his game is that it really occupied an interesting moment in history in that because he did it right at the start of the 2000s, his players all had broad access to email. So he did a lot of his communication between the players and between the players and himself using email, which obviously would not have been possible in years before that, where it would have had to be a more literal play-by-postal mail or play-by-mail sort of game. But it also excludes the newer technologies, meaning things like Discord or things like forums or virtual tabletops or interactive online map. And so those were all tools that we wanted to discuss that were not a part of his game, because back in 2001, they simply did not exist in the way that they do today in 2020. And another choice that he made, and this was just a creative choice on his part, and I alluded to this when I talked about Microscope, was the world had no particular plot to it. And even the individual games oftentimes had no particular plot to them. It was a very setting-driven game. You go to a place, there was a deep history to it, there was a deep lore to it. Uh, He even talked about how the game world would evolve in real time using what he called recycled resources. So, for example, let's say you go to a pirate fort and you wipe out the pirates that are staying there and you learn that the pirate fort was built on top of dwarven ruins or whatever, and there's some kind of cool lore he wrote there. But if you go back to it later, when you cleared out the pirates, it might be empty, or if you leave it long enough, something else might move in and take up residence there. So it's possible a handful of ogres move in, and now they live there. And, you know, once again, cool idea, and you can kind of adapt this to other games, but you have to get somewhat inventive if you're moving away from... Dungeons and Dragons. So I want to give full credit to Ben Robbins and what he did. And, you know, he created an awesome thing, or at least codified and popularized an awesome thing. If you've not read those blog posts, once again, I will link his blog in the show notes so you can go and look at that. But I think we did a disservice to you guys by not explaining where this started. And therefore, when we talked about you know, our view of it using things like Discord and interactive maps and multiple GMs and rules like games, we picked up an idea, I think, kind of midstream because we were talking about that middle step of evolution without mentioning where it was evolving from or why we were evolving it in those ways. Next thing I want to talk about is the Skies of Glass playtest. So the Skies of Glass playtest, I just had a conversation with Wayne and VC right before I cut this to make sure that my information is correct. And they have the first round. They're calling it a playtest, and I'm okay with that term. I personally think I would have called it an alpha. I'll explain why in a minute. But the first round of the playtest is going to be released. Uh, They said that they actually have the chapters done. They're simply combining them right now. And they're going to put that into a PDF. And since Wayne has largely taken over the Patreon and I'm a wise enough man to simply get out of his way and let him create, he has a schedule to when he wants to release certain things. And so this is a Tuesday item. I'm not clear exactly why that is, but the playtest is a Tuesday item. 
So the playtest is going to be scheduled to release on Patreon on Tuesday, April 21st. So this coming Tuesday, like two or three days from now. Now, the reason I would like to call it an alpha is because one of the things that you're going to see with the playtest is we're trying to do what's called an iterative development. And that's a term I'm borrowing from technology, but it can be used in anything, really. But what iterative development means is that you lay a substantial groundwork, and then you keep coming back and building on to that groundwork. So what's out there right now is going to be, I think it's something like about 50 pages there, I give or take. I, I don't know exactly how they've got it formatted right now, but at least the version I saw when I was doing some proofreading was about 50 pages. And that's going to have a lot of the basic rules that you need to run a game. So you would be able to sit down with your group, create characters, play the game, and deal with most of the situations you're going to encounter. But this is not a game that is anywhere near ready for release. What we wanted to do was to get a functional product into your guys' hands so you guys could start playing it and start giving us some feedback on it as we continue to develop it. Now, there are are some obvious spots where some rules need to be added, which we are actively working on. They gave me a playpen where I'm writing up my stream of consciousness thoughts on the rules, and they're translating that in English and putting it into the document. And some big things that are still on their way is, for example, how do you do salvaged equipment during character creation? How do you repair broken gear? We don't give any stats for animals, including the genetic constructs. We don't give any setting information, particularly no detailed drill down into places like St. Louis or Jacksonville or whatever. And so what you're going to have is a game that you can play. But let me emphasize that there is lots more coming. This is not the product and you guys are basically just looking for spelling errors and we're going to release it in a week after that. So there's going to be a lot of additions going forward. And by the time that this reaches the point that we're ready for release, it was going to be the same length as a normal role-playing game book, you know, 150, 200, whatever pages. So in prepping the last thing I want to talk about, it was something that I kind of went back and forth on whether I even wanted to deal with this on the show or not. Because one of the things that we have always prided ourselves on is that this show is an escape from the banalities and the rancor of regular life. That's one of the reasons we don't talk about politics. We don't talk about religion. We don't sit up here and get you know worked up about current events or whatever. And that's not something I want to change about the show character now. I, I like that we've done that. It's something I'm proud of, and it's something I intend to keep for as long as this show exists. But there is something I want to talk about that I don't think is getting much discussion. I think it may be important to a lot of people that are listening to this. And I say that not just on my own intuition, but because of conversations I've had over the years with our listeners and with people that have interacted with us. And what I want to talk about specifically is the mental health impact of what's going on right now with COVID and all the other stuff surrounding, you know, the quarantines, the isolation, the whatever. And if you want to jump off because you don't want to hear this, you know, you're full up on this, I don't blame you. But for those of you that do want to stick around, you know, as someone who is himself, and I've been very open about the fact that I struggle with anxiety, I have on and off depression, despite the fact that I play an extrovert on the podcast, I'm very much an introverted person, that there's a lot of things that I am struggling with right now that I know many of you are struggling with. 
And so I want to offer a little bit of, I guess, both some camaraderie, just so you know you're not the only one, but also a little bit of advice, both to the people that are struggling and to the people that aren't on how they can handle this. Now, as always, let me stress that, first of all, I'm not going to even talk about the physiological aspect of this disease. I'm not qualified to do so, and it's really not what I want to talk about anyway. But the second thing is regarding the mental health aspect, necessary disclaimer, I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not a doctor. I'm simply giving you my insight based on my opinions and my experiences and my observations. And these are sincerely given and carefully contemplated, but they are not authoritative. So please take them as such. One of the things I want to start with, I want to throw this out to the people that are maybe not struggling with this or are, but might be struggling in a different way, is there's this meme going around that kind of bugs me, or a series of memes, about how this is like heaven for introverts. And it's not. And here's why. Yes, introverts need a lot more time than extroverts to recharge. Introverts, we like our personal space. We like being at home, being in quiet, familiar places to fill up our batteries. But no man is an island, or no woman's an island, no person's an island. The only people I know that are truly 100% happy in pure isolation around absolutely no one, well, to be blunt, have a lot of trauma in their past that's led them to be that way. It is not a healthy state for anyone to be in. And I think one of the things that's difficult for introverts right now is, like you or like everybody else, we need social interaction. And the few outlets we were getting for that have now mostly been cut off. Unlike extroverts, we are not as well equipped to know how to seek those things or to be as likely to go out and say, hey, I'm bored, I'm lonely, I'm freaking out, I need help. We tend to keep those things to ourselves. And so even though the memes are saying like, hey, introverts, go check on your extroverted friends. Okay, it's funny, I get the joke. But the reality is it actually probably needs to be the other way around. You know, you extroverts that are still out there or even fellow introverts, check in on the people that aren't saying much. Don't assume the silence means people are happy or okay. And do not assume that because of the fact that we're being told to sit home and play video games right now, amusing as that may be, that because someone's introverted, they're doing all right. Something else that I, I want to talk about is the importance of empathy right now. You know, we are dealing with a, a situation where the actions and choices of each of us is going to impact each other. And it doesn't matter what your viewpoint is or how exactly you nuance this issue. And I'm not going to get into that. So whatever your view is on exactly how dangerous COVID is or where it came from or how it's spreading or how you balance that against certain concerns about the economic well-being of the individual. You know, once again, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get into that. But everyone has a different viewpoint right now. And part of that comes both from we're all different people, different stories. But we also each have different struggles. You know, we're facing different difficulties during that time. And so I'm not saying we, we shouldn't discuss these issues. I'm not saying you shouldn't have opinions or even express those opinions. But I would beg everyone that's listening to have some empathy, both to be willing to let people express what they need to express, to be mindful of the things that they care about. And in some cases, that may also mean not saying something. Because speaking to someone who has an anxiety disorder, look, 
I'm plenty worried as it is. I really don't need to go on social media and be constantly told I'm about to die. And I realize there are people out there that aren't taking this seriously, and that's completely true. I realize that within your right, certainly, and that may be your struggles. You've got someone, or maybe you yourself, are at extreme risk of catching this disease or, or suffering from it very severely. And just as I'm asking for empathy, I offer empathy, and I have a great deal of empathy for what you're going through. I know people who are in that situation right now. You know, our show host, Julia, she has severe asthma and very, very severe lung disorders. And uh, among some other things, I don't know if it's my place to say, but as a result, you know, she cannot leave her house at all. Her husband and kid have to go through a decontamination procedure coming in. So I get that. I mean, I really, I'm watching this unfold in other people's lives right now that I'm very close to. But I guess just what I'm saying is, you know, have empathy all the way around. You know, it's like the old Sammy Hagar song, you know, if you want to get, you got to give. And it's it's that sort of thing. Everybody, you know, try and chill out a little bit here because please understand that all the choices we're making right now, all of them, they affect each other. Once again, whatever you think the, the reality is here. And I don't, I don't want to drive this into the ground, especially since I'm trying to avoid specifics. So we'll just leave that there. If you are having anxiety or depression right now, please reach out to someone. I hope people will reach out to you. I've been very fortunate in that people have reached out to me, but that's not always going to be the case. Uh, and I'm, that's, it's a really sad thing, but it is true. We have set up an area on our Discord channel, and you can find that. Just go to feartheboot.com, and in the upper right, there's a drop-down list that says where to find us. Our Discord server's in there. If you're struggling right now, we've even created a whole channel for discussion about things related to the, the current crisis. So if you are depressed or are anxious and are really struggling right now because you're profoundly afraid or, God forbid, you're contemplating self-harm or something like that, Please reach out to a friend or family member. Please reach out to a, a health professional. If you don't want to do those things for some reason, then please at least come on our Discord channel or something and just talk to somebody. Because once again, as somebody who is himself struggling with these things, I can tell you being able to communicate with people, even those superficial manners, has been a big help for me. So I don't want to linger on this. And God willing, this is the last thing we will ever say on the topic, because I really do want to talk about role-playing games and fun stuff and give you guys a distraction, not carry on about the same crap everybody else is talking about. But one other thing I am going to part with, in case you're not really following this perspective, maybe you don't have any of these issues or you don't know what someone might be struggling with. I'm going to link an article that Chad actually sent me that was posted by Reuters on some of the mental health and personal impact that is already happening and they believe will happen as this unfolds, you might want to give that article a read just so you can kind of see what this other perspective looks like or see some issues that maybe you hadn't thought of that might have nothing to do directly with the virus but are going to be social side effects of its presence. All right, so once again, check the show notes for a bunch of stuff. I'm going to link to the Ben Robbins blog posts on West Marches. Uh, if you're on Patreon, once again, I believe it's the $3 level. You'll be getting a Skies of Glass first round play test slash alpha test slash whatever you want to call it. And yes, we are still writing on it. In fact, I am currently writing some rules that are missing and starting some setting information for a few specific locations. And I'll talk about that more later. 
because I'm not going to write a lot of setting very intentionally, and I'll explain why that is sometime in the future. But then also look for that link to the Reuters article on the mental and social aspects of the current disease. So thank you for tuning in. Have a great week and great game. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will catch you next time. Thank you.